everybody, welcome to the 8th episode of the Top 250 Podcast. Today, I have my buddy, Ryan McCuller. Brian, how you doing? Great, Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Of course, man. We're doing a good one today. We're doing Pulp Fiction. It's definitely the movie that I've seen the most in the top 10 of the Top 250 chart. So very familiar with the movie i've only seen it 200 times <laughs> yeah obviously one of the most quotable movies ever made ever made really from is. say what again to does he look like a bitch to uh everybody be cool i, I even call my wife honey bunny you know <laughs> I, I love this movie for all all the characters and, and the shit that they say this one this is bad motherfuckers they're all great so, uh, got a good cast here, dude. John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, Bruce Willis, Danny Rain, Eric Stoltz, Kathy Griffin, Phil Lamar. Yep, Uma Thurman. I mean, it's just our started. Everybody is a big name. Just the, the actors, they really bring the dialogue to life. Like, on paper, I feel like some of the lines would look a little clunky. Basically, if an actor saw it, they probably wouldn't know how to say it subtly but samuel jackson does such a nice job with a lot of those lines all the the tarantino isms it just rolls off his tongue very naturally absolutely i mean you gotta read a bible verse five times that really pertains in no way to the film i mean it, it does here and there um and i like how he brings it around with the explanations in the diner but you're right his relationship with Vincent, I think, is the most organic dialogue that he has. But if he's talking to anybody else, it seems a little odd. The conversation uh, with Paul, when he's behind the bar, and I don't get the role of Paul, he's behind the bar, is he a bartender? But then he's also a problem solver after Bush's fight, right? He's in the room, and uh, uh, Marcellus is telling him what to do. <laughs> And Paul's saying, I got it. But dude, you're the bartender. What are you doing? Yeah, when he walks down uh, the hall with Travolta there. Yeah. That's another thing. Like, when I'm... I don't know why. That scene sticks in my head a lot. <laughs> like, when I'm, like, walking fast down a hall, I always think of that for some reason. I always think of him. Um, but did you know he was actually... All, he almost played uh, Jules, that actor. His name's Paul Calderon answered my question because Bush's fight obviously happened after Jules quit, right? He turns in the case to Marcellus. So I'm done. And it's at that point, you know, it's like that night or whatever is Bush's fight. So Jules would have already bound. So oh. Paul supposed to be Jules replacement and Vince's new partner. Oh my God. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's right. That would have to be the case. And that's why he's not behind the fucking bar. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. So he does get kind of get the pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This movie is so fucking old. There was lots of moments where I'm watching it when I'm talking about things that made me feel incredibly old watching this movie. It was the cars. They were all old as fuck. And in the scene, <laughs> Butch. Butch's getaway. You know, Esmeralda Villa Lobo. Oh my god, it was like in that cabin, it was like I was watching that 70s show. It was that kind of production quality. It didn't sell me this time. You know, it took me out of the film for the first time. So 
ever watching this movie, it was bad enough that I had to, I had to kind of pause and laugh at what I was watching. Yeah. Even though this is arguably one of the best movies ever made. I mean, you say top ten, I'm top five with the person. I have a feeling that was just a creative choice from Tarantino because it's so obviously fake. I can just picture an old movie from the 50s doing something similar. And uh, I guess when you're watching a movie that old, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's obviously fake. But, you know, it's the 50s, whatever. But, like, (laughs) it's like they had the technology and the budget to make it more realistic. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, I will say the the scene that, uh, or the segment of the movie that uh, I feel is the weakest is actually with Butch and his girl in uh, the hotel room that they're in. Some alright dialogue there, but it definitely drags. I feel like it could have been half as long <laughs> and it would have been alright. And she also, she also really screws up. <laughs> By forgetting that watch. that's really my that's my problem with that scene i think uh the direction the direction is there seems a little more dimensional um but you see depth in his introduction when he's riding with esmeralda villaloba i think we gain interest in butch but when he comes into that room and calls this chick sugar pop one again that's depth for bruce willis um or Butch rather but that monologue about hot belly and then he says i'd punch you in it i don't know it, it, like you're saying it, there's clunkiness happening there it's out of it uh it doesn't feel as strong or keep my interest i don't care about your wish to have a pot belly i don't think that i like the feel of a pot belly that doesn't resonate with me so uh i concur um, directorially i like that we go to sleep with her brushing her teeth, and then we wake up with her brushing her teeth. Yeah. That's a nice little concept that is. Yeah, I think that that's kind of cool how they did that. Um, I think I think the it's it's kind of uh, an ode to um, like kind of the new wave French movies. That whole I mean, the actress I believe is French. Um, so I think they were going for that. Like I've. I've watched some uh, French movies from the 60s. Um, one one popular actress who uh, passed away recently, Anna Karina, she would star in a lot of French movies. And they they would have, uh, you know, pretty, pretty interesting, I mean, I guess interesting dialogue, um, cutesy dialogue, and it, it kind of seemed like... Uh, that's what Tarantino was going for with that scene. Um, you know, he's he's a fan of so many different movies, and uh, he he definitely tries splicing all these uh, different genres together, um, trying to trying to see how it'll come out. But yeah, it, it, I just I feel like it could have been cut in half, really. But you know it's Tarantino. He uh, he he gets his way. Since, <laughs> since, you know, he sure he's, does. He's Tarantino. Uh, no, I know. Uh, I've seen uh, interviews with Sally Nike where she, you know, said that she was trying to reel him in on a few things, but uh, 
you know, Tarantino said, I chose a woman specifically because I knew that I would need to be nurtured through this, but I know that I need to cut things and, and yada yada, but, uh, uh, you know, he has a hard time doing that because of all the baggage that goes along with, you know, uh, creating that film. So, right. uh, Sally, uh, especially, you know, when you're talking about, uh, this is before the days of Final Cut or anything like that, but I think she spoke specifically about Final Cut 7. Uh, and, you know, how that would change the editing game. It would make people, you know, be able to do all these ridiculous things very easily. Um, but, let me uh, roll that thought back there. Like I said, I rambled quite a bit. But no, the point I, I'm glad being you brought that, up. Uh, Sally Mankey was chosen to nurture uh, while having the mission to try to cut him back. And uh, I know for a fact that they cut out, you know, something like seven minutes from uh, the, the returning back to the house scene. Vincent and Mia, they, they cut a substantial amount out of that. Oh. And that was one of the things that he had in his mind. It's one of the things he wrote first about Pulp Fiction, you know, her dancing to uh, You'll Be a Woman Soon. Uh, so he had so much connection to that, and it was her job to argue with his whole basis for writing this movie and all the images that he had in his head to try to cut some of those things out so that I know, and I know that it was a difficult task, especially for somebody as, you know, come on, we all know this, stubborn as Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So, uh, great job, Sally. All right, too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought her up. Uh, she's edited uh, pretty much all of Tarantino's movies. I think the last one she did was Inglorious Bastards before she passed away. Yeah. Yeah, great editor. I recall a deleted scene. Um, I think they they actually might show it on TV um, when they air it sometimes. But it's uh, when uh, uh, Vincent arrives at Mia's place. She's filming him. She has a video camera. She's filming him. And she's asking if he's more of a, a Beatles fan or an Elvis fan. Um, you know. Mm. Just, you know, interesting pop culture dialogue. I, I think he says he's an Elvis man. Well, that would make sense, because when they go to Jack Rabbit's home, she says it should be right up an alley, yeah, right up the alley for an Elvis man. Yeah. $5 milkshake. That That's not too crazy now. I guess back then it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for that bourbon in it, it'd be $12. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, you go to Shake Shack here. You're spending more than five dollars on a milkshake. Oh man, you're talking about another uh, another great cameo, Steve Buscemi. Right, and uh, you know why that cameo is funny, right? Why is that? Because in Reservoir Dogs, he's talking shit about waiters. Now he ne- or he's he's talking about how he never tips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he plays a waiter. That is hilarious. Yeah, well, I like that a lot. You can tell he's like not having the greatest time. No, I mean, I that it seems like a choice for the actor to do it without stealing the scene or anything like that. That's at least an action or some depth that you can add without ruining the scene, changing the dialogue. Or you can play off the dialogue, uh, you know, like uh, a great example is uh, Burnt to a Crisp or Bloody Toe. You know, uh, mm-hmm. 
why are you asking it that way? Is that just is that for the theme of the restaurant, or is that because your character does not want to fucking be at work? <laughs> <laughs> I love that line where Travolta's like, uh, "Wow, we're lucky we got anything." I don't think Buddy Holly is much of a waiter. Just those little wisecracks like that. I love. Yeah, yeah, they have great chemistry, and they're they're back and forth. I think is. Uh, very organic. Um, so when you talk about, well, there are there is some clunky dialogue there. There's a lot that I cringe at now in this movie. Uh, her extremely rampant cocaine use. You have to say that that's a little bit gluttonous. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> she's just, yeah. you know, doing rails every five minutes. And she doesn't seem that much different after she does the lines. Well, no, it goes into a movie. You know, Vincent doesn't seem very different after doing a whole bunch of white china. <laughs> That's true. You know, and then we get that little montage. That scene. I mean, I was complaining about a traffic scene inside the taxi we switch or whatever. But then in the same movie, they have this really awesome sort of like uh, druggy dream driving montage and uh i mean that's fabulous it, you know pulls you in keeps you interested it's visually pleasing um and and very dark you know i mean it puts you in a different place with vincent who you consider to be you know intellectual jovial um you know generally an interesting guy and uh and he does heroin, and he's like, wait, is heroin cool? I think I kind of want to do heroin. But now, in today's age, it was so difficult for me to watch with the hypodermic needle and the, the methodology. You know, obviously, he goes through this very frequently, watching it burn in the spoon. I mean, just, I don't know if it's me personally or if we can, you know, get some comments from more of the audience on how they take that scene now that this problem has affected so many more people that you know 25 years have passed yeah i kind of i kind of look back at that scene and was like i mean this is like well shot and everything but it's like jesus it's kind of glorifying it a little bit but absolutely yeah and and, you know so this is another point from the heroin the amount not that i have such a dark uh, response to that but um you know uh, mia doing cocaine and Vincent doing heroin, you know, and you would call those those things opposites on the drug paradigm. And I think it's an interesting kind of way to look at it. We're talking so much about their chemistry, how they had this dance tonight, and his penetration, we're making these jokes. But opposites attract is a very common phrase when it comes to you know chemistry. Right. Um, when you combine, as Mia did, coke and heroin, I mean, that's a deadly combination. So this is obviously very dangerous for them to get set up uh, in the first place, at least for them. It was very pointed. It seemed like the main story was Vincent and Mia while we were watching this. I can't really say that about anything else. Any other scene in the film, it didn't really seem like the point of the movie. Yeah, Jules and Vincent shoot the shit. Okay. Butch's dad had a real hard time at the exam. Yeah, that sucks. Thank you, Christopher Walken, for making an appearance. We love you. <laughs> um, Marcellus, the rape scene. I mean, what's the point of this movie? <laughs> and I think the conversation right off the bat, Tony Rocky Hara, foot massages. 
that sets us up for media and business. And when we're watching that, you're thinking Tony Rocky Hart whole fucking time. Don't get thrown off a, a roof, Vincent. You're doing all the wrong thing. Okay, you're sharing a straw. First yeah, of all, yeah, sharing a straw is like uh, that's the same fucking ballpark as smoking crap. Yeah, swapping. Okay, spit. swapping spit. Yeah, dancing. Same ballpark. Okay, I'm just saying we all saw it coming and it culminates in this secret pact to not tell Marcellus Wallace about their uh, life-changing penetration. Vincent Vega better fucking known better. Well, you gotta give it up for him. He does smarten up in the bathroom. He's talking <laughs> to himself. He's like, go home. Jerk off. That's all you're gonna do. Yep. But, uh, but again, that's one of his four appearances in the bathroom. Yeah, but this guy, he was in the bathroom. What, uh, I don't think of a, there's any, well... We haven't really talked too much about the uh, the scene in the pawn shop. Uh, oh, kind yeah. of out of left field. Um, the first time I watched it, eighth grade. I remember. I was like, fifth grade. No, eighth grade. Oh well, still Jesus fuck. And, and it was my dad who recommended it because I was starting to really, like, get into movies. I was going on IMDb a lot. I was watching the movie with my dad. And, like, before we we see the big reveal of uh, Peter Green and Peter my dad, like, warns me. <laughs> He's like, I, I can't remember explicitly what he said, but... I remember he gave me a warning, like, what you're about to see is, like, really weird, and it's probably something you haven't seen before. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Also, like, uh, like what, are, what are these pawn shop guys doing? Like, is, <laughs> is this, like, is this something they, do they just find people, like, and do? It seems like they do it quite a bit. We don't know too much about the gimp. We don't know who he is, whatever. Does he stay in that box all the time? Yeah. All the, do they bring him food? Jesus. Does he unzip his mask to eat? <laughs> oh my god. I don't want to talk about the scene, Sam. There's too many real questions. Zed's a fucking sheriff, bro. Yeah, I was thinking that throughout the movie. I was like, where are the cops and whatnot? And this is the only cop that we see in the movie, I think. I don't, I don't recall seeing him in any other scene. You don't even hear, like, police sirens or anything, I don't think. Not that I recall. No. But, uh, so, million-dollar question, man. What's in the case? Yeah, no, I was, I was thinking of asking you that. I think it's uh, something that uh, only Tarantino really knows. But it's got to be something because the way um, Ringo, Tim Roth's character, reacts to what he sees in the case, it, it's almost like it's something that he's 
seen before. It, he says, is that what I think it is? And I think Jules just nods his head. So it's got a little something, but, but there's only so many things that are gold. I know, I know one theory about this, and it's because the case code is 666. Marcellus is wearing a bandage on the back of his neck. I guess people are saying that it's Marcellus's soul in the case. He made a deal for his soul or made a gamble for his soul. <laughs> I don't know how Brett ended up with Marcellus's soul <laughs> or what he was trying to do get in town with Marcellus's soul. But uh, that's one theory that I have seen pop up. Yeah, I've, uh, I've heard that too. And uh, I know Ving Rings actually had like a cut on the back of his neck. And that's why he's wearing a band-aid in the scene. But the band-aid really stands out though. Like, and also like, wouldn't they have like makeup or wouldn't they just find a way to shoot the scene differently? Or they could have used a stand-in also. The, the band-aid definitely seems like it means something. And also, how would Ringo know what Marcellus's soul looks like when he says is that? Yeah, there wouldn't be any recognition there. Plus, that's not exactly an animated object, right? I mean, that doesn't like manifest as anything. It'd, it'd be nice if uh, Tarantino like uh, like writes it on a note on his deathbed. <laughs> Tell us I'm curious what your favorite part is. Yeah, I'm watching it again. Uh, I I think it's when uh, Vince is bringing his body to Lance's. The banter between Lance and Vincent is just funny. And Eric Stoltz on the phone. I'm hanging up. Prank caller. Prank caller. Um, <laughs> and just like even like. I, I realized how, how great Eric Stoltz was in this movie. Like rewatching it, I I never never really appreciated it as much watching it as a teen. But uh, his his banter between him and Jody mm -hmm. is just, it's so funny. The first time you watch it, you're probably not really gonna be laughing because it's like, oh my god, it's, it's funny. Right, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, but like when you're rewatching it, you're like, well, you know what happens. Um. I don't know why. Whenever like I need like a marker or something, <laughs> I always think of Travolta saying like a a, a black marker, a, a fucking belt tip pen. I don't know why it always. It always he nails it, man. He really does do Vincent Vega really good. Yeah, I definitely quote his character a lot. Yeah, I can't. I can't say that I quote any character more than anybody else i mean um tim ross i say garston coffee garston. you know uh just the dumbest lines to say yeah um or or repeat they, they just might not make any sense to anybody else but uh they always bring me back to to this movie because it's just such a got such a dear place in my heart yeah god 1994 i had a lot of a lot of good movies. You got this one, Shawshank Redemption, Forrest Gump. It's a good year. It's a good year for movies, that's for sure. I think Pulp Fiction's my favorite out of all of them, though. 
Was uh, be rewatching this one for a long time. I agree with you. I mean, any uh, any opportunity to get to watch it, uh, this is as good as, of an excuse as any. Uh, I haven't got my wife to watch it with me, so. And she likes it too, uh, which is just it speaks to the quality of this film. When you have somebody, and she's not she's not a super movie buff like us. Um, she enjoys watching movies, but when it comes to analyzing things or picking out little details. Um, she's not there, you know, uh, she, she doesn't look for continuity issues. She doesn't look for, uh, movies that are, uh, complex in really any way, but this movie resonates well with mainstream because you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily, um, have to watch it for looking for all the little details and eccentricities. Oh, this movie is, uh, outlining, uh, consequences of the seven deadly sins. Oh, uh, well, we have to figure out every character's motivations and connections. Um, you know, uh, no, it's just, oh, shit, I shot Marvin in the face. That's funny and violent, you know, and we, everybody's all in. Uh, the music brings everybody in. Um, Samuel L. Jackson is just a presence that you don't need to uh, uh, have great dialogue for, even though there is great dialogue. I mean, you could tell this dude doing the, you know, the night before Christmas, and it would just be the best thing anybody's ever heard. He's just got that personality, especially back in '94. It's just fine. So, um, you know, this this I'm jumping around a lot here, but my point is, this movie resonated with folks who aren't looking at it the same way that uh, cinephobes or not cinephobes yeah. it resonated with people who don't look at it the same way cinephiles do okay so it catches you regardless of what your standard movie interest is yeah I'm not sure I'm, I'm articulating this correctly no no it, you are it, because I haven't I really haven't met anyone who said they they just don't like the movie like i've i've come across all kinds of different personalities and whatnot and i remember even when we were in college like um i mean people knew that i was a film major so i would even talk to non-film majors and a lot of them would say like oh yeah i love pulp fiction and like just like some of the some of the people with the the most pickiest taste in in movies and whatnot. Everyone just just seems to like it. You know, it's just a just a, it's great dialogue. A lot of cool characters. Very entertaining. It's it's not a wholesome film, you know, like Star Wars or The Lion King. This is some serious shit that people are exposing themselves to, and right people are all backgrounds and interests unanimously love this film. I've never met anybody that says I don't like it. Yeah. Oh, good. I I love the song at the end, Surf Rider. That that is just such a cool way to end a movie. A lot, a lot of there's a lot of great movies that uh, 
you know, you don't you don't feel too satisfied with the ending. I'll concur. You know that that scene uh, had some finality to it too. You know, to end it, where else would you end it? Uh, if you ran this chronologically, you're gonna end it at the rape scene. Yeah, yeah, Butch driving away with his girl on his motorcycle. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, so, and especially because Vince has died, you know, and it's sort of like a personal rooting for. But if you flip it the way he did, or Sally did, whoever's idea it was, Vincent leaves the movie alive. Yeah. That feels, that feels good. Yeah, you almost forget that he's about to die in like 24 hours. Less than 20. Right. He's going to have a hell of a couple days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on. This, uh, not too many other... Not too many other people I'd choose to do this one with. I, I'd love to have some more with you with some different films. You got 250 to get to. You're on number eight. I can't wait to see what you got coming. Yeah, definitely do another one. Um, if, uh, you know, check out the list, man. If there's any any that stand out to you that you want to do, we'll do it. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while. This, this is probably going to be a 10-year project. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool just to, like, catch up with people and, and talk about movies. For so, sure. 